I'm here with Moshe Engelberg, an old friend, and he's got some great ideas about love and business, which I just can't even connect for the life of me. So I can't wait to hear what he's got to say. All right. Hi, John. Hi. Hi, Moshe. Yeah. Yeah, it's been a while. I'm glad I've been following your work and you keep doing more and more and putting the message out there to help people with their data and make good decisions and leverage what they got. And uh, so I'm glad to be reconnected and I can fill you in on how business and love fit together. Okay, well, you've got a book out, right? I do. It's this. Mario Wave. Wait, how thick is that? Holy smokes. Uh, yeah, it's a book. 300-something pages. Wow. And uh, I know the fashion these days is to write a what some call a one-airplane-ride book. And I almost did, and then I felt guided to put everything I had into this one. The whole idea of love and business. And some people like you, you're saying, how do they go together? And one way to think about it is, why business exists. And in my view, business exists not to make money, but to make life better for people. Every business starts with the premise, I can improve that, I can fix that, I have a new idea that will accomplish this. And all those, all those things point towards improving life. And that makes our world a little better. That's how business provides value to society. And as a result of that, Companies make money, often a lot of it, and the more they're connected with providing value to society, the more money they make typically. Kind of the whole doing doing well by doing good kind of thing, and there's a lot of evidence to support that. So I stretch it to call it love, and I define love simply as energy that uplifts and connects. So for example, I walk into a favorite grocery store, Trader Joe's, I used to walk in there <laughs> pre-pandemic, and I feel a little bit uplifted, feels good. And I feel connected, like, yeah, my kind of people, I kind of fit in. They wear shirts like this. And why? Uh, so when it's warm. <laughs> yes, yes. So that's what I call love, that, ener- that feeling of energy that uplifts and connects. When I walk into most grocery chains, I don't feel that. It feels kind of flat. And to me, John, at this point in life, it's too short to not have that uplifting experience. And I call on business leaders to provide that, to shape their businesses and their value proposition, their workforce and their priorities to make sure they're uplifting to their employees, to all their stakeholders, and especially to customers. And when people say, well, I don't, I'm not comfortable with the word love in business, I have two responses. One is call it grilled cheese, I don't care. <laughs> call it whatever you want. It's just, do that work to uplift people and provide connection, and that's how you'll prosper. And the second thing is, I would ask the question, so I'll ask you this, John. Are there any teams you'd say you love, like the Golden State Warriors, Pittsburgh Steelers, or other sports teams? No, I've kind of soured on my sports teams. Maybe the Wisconsin Badgers. (laughs) Okay, the Badgers. Or maybe there's a restaurant. You'd say, I love that place. So most of us, no matter what our thinking about love and businesses, would say, yeah, I love that. I love in and outburger. I love the Badgers. I love whatever. So as consumers, customers, we're used to ascribing love 
to yeah. a business. Cars love Shell. So, what? Cars love Shell. That was an old David Ogilvy campaign. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Cars love Shell. And so we all love something in business. So wouldn't you want to be on the other side and have customers say that about your company? Yeah, we love we love John's work. We love Shell. We love whatever the company is. Of course, of course you would. Every leader would. So that's that's how to connect love and business. We all want our customers to say, yeah, I love that company. And then they'll be what Ken Blanchard calls raving fans and talk about it to other people and and have that sense of loyalty and conviction. That's my kind of company. I support them. I want them to succeed. I want to give them my money. So does it work? Have you got good case studies in there? Yes. Yeah. In the book, there's a lot of case studies. And so for Trader Joe's, the one I started with, for example, earns about four to six times more, more per square foot than the average grocery store. And the other, there's a lot of classic examples, USAA, um, Costco, compared to their competitors, and I, uh, uh, Patagonia. There's, there's literally dozens of examples. And I also draw on existing research, like in the book uh, Firms of Endearment, that found that companies that do business this way, he didn't call it the Amare wave. Amare is Latin for love. Yeah. He had different words, but fundamentally the same principles at play that they perform perform 8x better than the S&P over a 15-year period. Wow. And, and so there's evidence from a lot of different arenas, both statistical evidence and anecdotal, and then there's just the common sense. Well, if customers feel like they're cared about and treated right and they and they buy into the value proposition – wouldn't they be loyal? Wouldn't they want to go back? Of course they would. So from the different realms of data, there's a lot that converges to say, yes, this works. Okay, and I do love Land's End. Most, most days I'm wearing Land's End stuff, and I've been shopping with them since the 70s. So uh, I can understand that. Although, you know, the concern I have about the case studies is that maybe you're cherry-picking, you're saying, okay, these are companies that have high earnings. Which of these are loved? You know, because there's mm. probably companies with low, with high earnings that aren't loved, and wouldn't fit your model. Is that fair? Yeah, it is fair. So two, two. There's two points there, and I'm glad you brought that up. One is if I contrast, you might remember Jim Collins' book, Good to Great, right? About 20 years ago. Or I was he started in Search of Excellence, where you know it sounded good, but after the book came out, all those companies got in trouble, um, yes. you know, with their earnings, not because of the book, but just because right, right. things go up and, and down, that, you know. They do. That's the nature of things. And that's happened with some of the good to great companies like Wells Fargo. Who's, right. Oh, yeah. 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 So they're, they're an example. Their practices of late have not been Amari, have not been very love centered at all. And they're paying a significant price. Um, so in in some some books are are that share, let's look at earnings and then back into what their practices are in cherry pick. In in contrast, for example, in the book Firms of Endearment um, by Raj Sodian Companies, which I cited a couple minutes ago, they did the opposite. They said let's take look at companies that do this that 
that have these practices that run their businesses in this way. And then let's look at their financial performance. So that was the opposite of cherry picking to show success was the right starting point. And, and in my research too is the same way as let's, let's look at companies that do this and see how they perform. And they do better typically, often much better. But John, there's two caveats to add. One is this is not the only way to make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. We have ample evidence that companies can be at the opposite end, can be greedy and not treat people well and be deceitful and all those things and make a lot of money. Um, often they're rewarded. Like in the last recession, companies who were too big to fail sent a message that you can do whatever you want and treat people however you want. And if you're big enough, we'll, we'll rescue you. And so that sends a message that says you don't have to be accountable for your actions fully. And wow. the other, th- oh, so, go ahead. so companies, yeah, I'm sorry. So companies don't need to do, and there's companies in the middle that are more transactional rather than relationship based and rooted in this idea of uplifting and they do fine. So this is not the only path to money, but I think it's a better way to prosper where people are authentic. They feel good about themselves. They bring their whole selves to work and they're connected with their higher purpose. They're not just there to make money. And the second caveat, John, is that it's not sufficient to have this mindset and these set of practices that I call the Amari way. You need a good business model. You need sufficient capital. You need the right people. You need a a value proposition that people buy into. You need need certain essentials in place. This is not a panacea that will magically fix everything. Well, that leads us, yeah, because I was thinking about Aldi, and I read Mark Ritson a lot, and he said Aldi's just killing it in the UK because they are are able, with their business model, to deliver groceries uh, less expensively than, I think it was Tesco or some others that were, were bigger. Um, and, you know, I go into Aldi here, and there isn't much love. <laughs> There's just, I can't believe how the cash the cashiers can i mean they kind of like throw the items across the scanner and you're responsible for where they hit that isn't so much amare in that but i've always i've always tried to encourage people to deliver value now that value can be relational and the value can also be financial it's you know but deliver value somehow that's kind of the way i look at it yeah exactly exactly that's that's um I think that's why businesses are created to provide value to people and in society. Okay, so let's say I buy into your book. Let's say I buy your book. That would be everybody should buy his book. <laughs> I should have bought your book. Sometimes people send me their books. You know, Scott Adams, who I really I love, Scott Adams. You know, he writes yeah. Dilbert, and yeah. so he sent me one, and so I reviewed it, uh, video review. But anyway, and happy to do that. But. Okay. Um, but let's say we buy into your book, we buy your book, and uh, we want more Amare in our lives and we, in our business. And, I mean, I've been working really hard at giving my clients a lot of information about how the machine learning process works. And, you know, mostly they're busy. They just want it to work, and they don't really want to know. And so, you know, I'm, I try really hard when I want to do a, an hour video on the latest model to get it to five minutes, but 
you know, as much as I love what I do and love providing that value, and it does work, um, not every, not all my clients, you know, the love they want is make the deadline mostly. <laughs> Yeah, very true. Very it's, true. It's like the 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 love languages thing. You know, the book about I don't know if you've read that, but where it says, you know, the husband likes uh, likes to give hugs, and the wife just wants the dishwasher fixed. Right. And <laughs> and what we the the way we give love and the way we feel loved can be way different uh, for our spouse. Totally, totally. So is that the case in business too? I think maybe it is. Yeah, it, it is. It is it is the case. And you're right, we can get so caught up in our work and our thinking. We think the whole world will be fascinated. Remember I was I was started my consulting firm years ago. I was finishing my PhD at Stanford and there was a lot of theory and research in the program I was in. And I'd go to clients and start telling them about this theory and about marketing and that theory about communication and persuasion. And I realized they don't care. They just need to get the <laughs> job done and have this outcome. And then it took me a few years. But then I finally figured out I can employ the theory and the research. Like you can employ your models and the thinking behind it and the algorithms. The people don't have to understand them. They trust you. And it's just, okay, help help me solve this problem. Help me move this forward. So I totally agree with that. And love, love does um, – come across differently to different people. That's why I define it in generally as what uplifts people and gives them a sense of connection. So that could be a lot of different things. It could be like at Aldi, if the cashiers were more friendly, it could be they look at you and say, hey, John, hope you're having a good day. Or they or they speed up or they... Oh, they can't like, go any faster. Yeah, or they slow down or they show they care about the product or or just smile, whatever it is. There's lots of ways that can give you a sense of yeah, that pretty can, friendly. Yeah. So, so do you have a like a, a a set of steps that I can do to evaluate the level of love that I am giving, or you know, how do we how do we move this? How do we implement? Yes. So two things. One is a starting point that I recommend is getting together with your people in the company and ask the question, at our company, do we love our customers? And the answer will be a very quick, if it's yes, it'll be yes very quickly. Otherwise, well, son, this one, yeah, this one, maybe. And I say, no, we don't care. We just want their money, whatever it is. But that's a starting diagnostic. Do we love our customers? And then the second question is, do they love us back? Ooh. And then it's, well, how, how do you, if you love them, how do you show it? If you don't love them, it's, what would it take to do that? And to, do they love us back? Is, well, how do we know? And that's where the data comes into play. So those are starting points. Get the conversation going and quickly convey the value of putting love to work. And then in the book, there's a series of exercises. I have what I call mirrors, doors, and windows. So the windows are kind of stories that peek into someone, some other business. And the mirrors are where people self-reflect and look at themselves. So ask hard questions about authenticity, for example. Do your words and actions match as a business leader? Do you have nice words in your boardroom like integrity and teamwork 
and then go out and screw customers the next day? Or is there consistency? Is there alignment and a fit? So there's a lot of look at yourself questions. And then the doors are kind of a, a threshold. Step over the threshold. And there's something like 150 action steps wow. people can take to move forward. Okay. So so what I meant by case studies, though, was, was not so much um, – examples in retrospect as like your implementation through these questions and things and an improvement on the ROI of a business. How about that? Yes, there are some stories of that. And the way this book came to be was not where I had this fully developed model that I called the Amari way and I implemented it over 25 years with dozens or hundreds of companies and here's the data. This is not that kind of book. I've been I've been implementing the principles and seeing the results, and I've been seeing the gaps. And the fundamental insight that came from the gaps was the business is missing love, and that causes a lot of pain and it wears people out and leads to this kind of fighting and fear mentality. Like we got to crush the competition, we have to capture market share. It makes people be predatory. And imagine treating our customers like prey. What is up with that? But that's how we talk in business. That's what we do. So this whole framework came together as a result of work I did in different domains, not with the whole model, but with pieces of it. And then seeing the problems and then getting this download, I'll call it, for lack of a better phrase, of here's how to pull it together and create this vision for what business could be and a step-by-step way of implementing it. I was at a private meeting at Quill Corporation one time, and Jack Miller, the founder, said, we need blood on the snow. Yeah. (laughs) Jack was great, you know, but I think he really did love his, he certainly loved his employees. I think he really loved his customers, too. It was pretty funny, but he was really, you know, he always was trying to figure out how he could deliver that value more efficiently, and, and, you know. When he, he moved out to the to Lincolnshire out west of Chicago, and the first day, the post the post office there was so inundated with the orders that came in because he got a lot of mail order in. This was in like the eighties, late eighties or so, and uh, he he said, "Well, why don't why don't you just let us sort the mail and we'll give you the ones that aren't for us?" <laughs> they didn't go over that at all. That's funny. <laughs> but, but um, you, know, the, you know, you find these great business leaders do have a lot of love. And they also have a lot of insight into what their customers, the, the un, you know, we, we've always, we always talk about marketing as find a, a need and fill it. But mar- some of the greatest marketing innovations were to find something that nobody realized they needed, you know, like the iPod or something like that. That's right. That's right. And I think that comes from really understanding how people, what makes people tick and how they operate. And, and to me, underneath it is it's about building relationships, either with the product or with the brand. That's what, that's what good marketing does. Well, I'm mostly a math guy. My wife will tell you I'm not the best at relationships, so I probably better get your book. It, I'm, a, I'm assuming it's available on on Amazon or something, Amare, the Amare Wave is right. A M A R E, right. I saw it on behind you there, and I could spell it right. Okay, and so 
we're going to get that book and I'm going to learn how to be a better lover. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And one comment, given your realm of data, that's I think an important one is that um, in, in, in the West especially, we're much more comfortable with facts and figures than feelings. And to me, feelings are data too. It's a different form of data. So this is in your zone, John. It's just a different aspect of it. Well, one of my clients told me I violate every rule of statistical analysis that they that they had ever heard of, and a friend of mine introduced me to a, one of the one of the professors at uh, UCLA, and I fixed his book for him, which was a PDF that where everything was sideways, and I said, if you'd like it, call me, and we got to talk for about an hour, and he said, John, you don't violate statistics you elevate them because you care what it all means you love the data and that's true and there and that's a piece i don't know if you know but we've beaten like 11 different companies across time in head-to-head tests in the mail and it puzzled me for years why we would win when i i really have no formal training but a lot of it is because i care what it means i care what the customer's thinking and most mathematics people just want the the p-values to look good and that is a formula for disaster exactly i love that you elevate so you're that's your form of love you're uplifting data yeah. to a higher and higher... when it's two o'clock in the morning and you think this is good enough <laughs> you know it's not good enough if you're not happy with it you need to keep pushing it and Oh man, that happens to me all the time. Where I'm just my my clients wouldn't know the difference. Probably it'll probably work anyway. Nope, I never say that. You can't ever you can't ever let yourself off the hook like that. Oh, I'm so glad to reconnect with you, John. Thanks for doing this. I love your questions. Very okay. pragmatic as always, and uh, you sound like you're. We didn't talk personal stuff, but you sound like you're in a good spot in life. Yeah, this is the best year we've had in. 25 years probably. 